Lincoln Village, and they're going to worship with us this morning. So welcome to St. Louis Crew. Give them a hearty Alabama welcome after the service. Okay. Again, welcome visitors, special visitors. Um, welcome to the Village Church. For our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. And our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. We are now using a linked link tree, which is right there on your bulletin. For visitors, if you want to sign in, you can use that. For members and guests, you can use that to find out what's going on here at the Village Church. Um, welcome. Use that QR code to sign in if you want to. Nursery is open today. Uh, at the Village Church, we believe it's the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. There's several ways you can give. You can give online. Uh, you can give um, in person here. Or you can mail a check to the church address. Today, the youth will have a summer time event at the lake this afternoon after the worship service. I think that's still on. Okay. Be reminded of that. Um, for those who have signed up, have signed up to see Waikita or Whoever, whoever you want to see Lockheed if you haven't signed up and want to go. All right. Um, this week, coming up, corporate prayer is Wednesday night at 7. There will be a flight link to the flight note for the Zoom code sent out later this week. Next Sunday, the 17th, we'll celebrate communion here at the Village Church. Uh, 19th, Sydney Bulletin, Women's Fellowship at the church house. And Saturday the 23rd, leave servants, have a meeting, calendar meeting. Uh, those are your announcements. Govern yourself accordingly. Let's rejoice that we can be together as God's people and his family to worship him today in praise, prayer, and hearing his word. Praise God. Welcome again. Good morning. Good morning. Hear these words from Nehemiah 9. Stand up and praise the Lord your God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. Please stand with me. Hallelujah, you are worthy. Hallelujah. You get the highest praise, hallelujah. You are holy, Lord, we exalt. 
exalt your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are worthy. Hallelujah. You get the highest praise. Hallelujah. You are holy. Lord, we exalt your name. For you
Our call to worship this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 12, 26, and 27a. Please join with me where it says congregation. The beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. There is none like God who rise through the heavens to your help, through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is your dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Amen.
again, everyone. If you would join me in a word of praise, a prayer of praise. Lord, we just sang three songs praising you, honoring your name, and recalling your greatness and your majesty. Some may ask, where do we get this from? We find it in scripture. And Lord, just one example can be found in Exodus 34, verse 6, where Moses, after destroying the tablets and the Israelites sinning against you in, in the wilderness with the calf, the golden calf, Moses returns to you for a second set of tablets. 
And scripture says that the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Lord, you are holy. You alone are righteous. And we tremble at the thought of you. But you love us. You are love. And you have expressed that love through the life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You loved your enemies. You loved each of us and you draw us in faith to Christ. Lord, we thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Next, we have our assurance of pardon. It's found in your bulletins, and it comes from 1 John verse 1, correction, chapter 1, verse 9. And it reads, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I would ask each of you to join me as I reflect on my, the hours of this morning, yesterday, and even last week. And just consider my life before a holy God as you consider your lives before a holy God. Uh, A moment of silent reflection. And I I do apologize. I did read things out of order, so let me start again. Our confession of sin comes from 1 John 1, uh, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And in consideration of our unfaithfulness and God's faithfulness and his love and willingness to forgive, we consider our assurance of pardon found in 1 John 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen, amen, and amen. Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 15. Uh, If the congregation would please stand, and if, if you're able, please stand. And beginning with verse 1 of chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And in the severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. 
and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to the will, by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had stated, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, and that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathers much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This is the word of God. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to pray that under-resourced communities have equal access to mental health services. We're going to be praying for the mental health of minorities as they navigate life in America. We're going to be praying for the health professionals, the mental health professionals, that they will have wisdom on how to deal with their patients. And we are going to pray that everyone finds a safe place to be honest about their mental struggles. And that's going to be on Wednesday, this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Email should be going out so you guys have access to the Zoom if that's how you prefer. Or again, you can meet here in the building. And with that, let's go into our prayer supplication. Father, we come before you as broken people who struggle in ways that we're not. always prepared for and I thank you Lord that you are a God who wants us to be known and you want to know us and you want to have your children come before you and lay your burdens down and I thank you 
we may be messes, but there is no mess too big for you. There is no brokenness that you cannot heal. There is no brokenness that you are shy from. Everything that we are dealing with, everything we struggle with, Lord, you carry that. And you can carry that. And it is beautiful that you want us to come to you and lay that down at your feet. To know us and heal us through community not just praying and reading the Bible, it is being in community with other Christians who want to carry the burden with us, who want to know what we're struggling with as brothers and sisters, because you have created us to be a family, to support each other and lean on each other, and healing comes from relationships, just like how healing comes from a relationship with you and how the Spirit moves and the Spirit is moving through the village, and I thank you for that how we want to be there for each other and know each other and be friends. And I pray that you will bless this sermon and that you'll prepare our hearts for what it is you want us to learn about you today. And you'll strengthen Pastor Alex as he prepares to give the sermon that he's been working on. And I just thank you, Lord, in your name.
some of the announcements for those who 
came in a little late, but inside the worship guide, there's a QR code here that you can scan, and it'll take you to all of our social media platforms. It'll take you to a guest a form where you can fill out such your information as your first-time guest, and that allows us to uh, follow up with you. Um, you can also check if you want to follow a call for the pastor, or if you want to go to a coffee with the pastor, and I'll be... It'll be, be my pleasure to take you to get coffee and, and share more with you about uh, the Village Church and our mission and vision here. So again, thank you for our guests. Thank you for being with us. This week, um, I found an illustration online this week that says a, a wealthy man in a community was not known for his generosity to the church. The church was involved in a big financial program. So the fundraising committee decided it was going to pay this man a visit. And while meeting, the committee members said that in view of his considerable resources, they were sure he would like to make a substantial contribution to the program. The wealthy man says, I see. So you have it all figured out, have you? In your course of your investigation, did you discover I have a widowed mother who has no other means to support herself but me? No, they responded. They didn't know that. Did you know I have a sister who was, who was left by a drunken husband with five kids and with no means to provide for them? The committee said, no, we didn't know that either. Well, did you also know that I have a brother who is crippled due to an automobile accident that can, and that he can never work another day to support his family and wife? Embarrassingly, the committee said, no, sir, we didn't know that either. Well, he said loudly, I've never given them a cent. Why should I give you anything? That's cold. But how many of us are like this wealthy man when it comes to stewardship and generosity in our life? How many of us are asking, well, why should I give anything to the Village Church? Why should I give anything to your ministry and your charity? I don't even help my family and friends financially. So why should I give anything to you? Hopefully those questions will be answered in today's sermon. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, Open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I will be preaching through verses 1 through 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. The title of this message is The Rhythm of Stewardship. The Rhythm of Stewardship. And this is my big main point. Stewardship is a rhythm of God's grace that all believers can freely experience the power and work of the Holy Spirit. Stewardship is a rhythm of God's grace that all Christians can freely experience through the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? Please join me as we go to the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of his word. Holy Spirit, as I pray each week, I, I pray again today that you are the one who makes preaching powerful. You do it. If you don't move, then lives are not changed. If you don't move, people don't come into faith. 
If you don't move, our hearts are not changed. Our view of Jesus is not changed. If you don't move, I mean, we can't even understand Scripture apart of you, apart from you. Yeah, we got tons of books, or we go to college, or you know, we go to Christian conferences, but those things do not equal Christian maturity at all. You working in us and changing us, that's what grows us in the faith. So, Holy Spirit, would you please take preaching of this word and apply it to the hearts of God's people. And I pray for all this in Christ's name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, both of those chapters deal with the rhythm of stewardship. And in these chapters, the Apostle Paul challenges the Corinthians believers to complete the offering they promised to give to the poor believers back in Jerusalem. And first, he does this by sharing with these Corinthians how the rhythm of stewardship has been experienced by believers in Macedonia. It's been experienced by them as a gift of God's grace. So Paul calls these Corinthians to pay attention to how God's grace has been experienced by their brothers and sisters in Macedonia. Look at verse 1 with me. The apostle says, I want y'all to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. Don't read, don't, go, don't gloss over those words too quickly, saints. Pay close attention to what Paul is saying about God's grace here. Grace, the grace of God is possessive, means it's not your grace. It's not the grace of the Corinthians. It's not the grace of the village church. It's not the grace of the Macedonians. It's God's grace. And here's the thing about grace. Grace in itself is not self-existing. Grace is not a person. It's not, a, it's not an, ent- an entity. Grace is made possible because our triune God is gracious. If he wasn't gracious, then there would be no such thing as grace. No such thing. Psalm 116.5 says, Gracious is the Lord and righteous, for God is merciful. Isaiah 30, verse 18 says, Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Think about that. He waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord God, for the Lord is God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. If our triune God isn't gracious, then there will be no grace for you to enjoy. There will be no grace for you to rest in. There will be no grace for you to claim, but do you believe it? Second, the grace of God given to the Macedonians is given as a gift. These churches of Macedonia, these are house churches. They don't have sanctuaries like we have. And these are churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And all these churches are passive recipients of God's gracious gift. And that's important. Do you know why? It's because these believers do not give grace to themselves. Okay? You don't bestow grace on yourself. It's given to you. It's given to them by our triune God to experience as a gift. And this grace that he gives to them here is a post-salvation grace. But what do you mean by that, Pastor? I hope you realize your experience with grace doesn't stop once you become a Christian. 
Okay, there is something called a post-conversion grace. It's the grace that comes after you receive Jesus in faith. So listen, saints, if you have saving faith in Jesus this morning, then please know your experience with grace is not over. There is a justifying grace. That's the grace you receive once you become a believer. And then there's sanctifying grace. That's the grace you experience as you grow in Christ. Both are gifts from God. And both are passively received by us. And the grace of God given to the Macedonians is a sanctifying grace. And that sanctifying grace is working stewardship in them. But do you believe it? But do you believe it? I read another illustration this week that compared stewardship to an annual checkup with your doctor. The illustration says, when you go to the doctor for an annual checkup, he or she will, will often begin to poke and prod and, and press in various places, all while asking, does this hurt? How about this? If you cry out in pain, one or two things, things has to happen. Either the doctor has pushed too hard without being, you know, being very sensitive, or more than likely something is wrong. And the doctor will say, well, we better do some, we better do some more tests. It's not supposed to hurt there. So it is when preachers preach on financial responsibility and certain members cry out in discomfort, criticizing the message and the messenger. In that case, I say, my friends, we all need a great physician because it's not supposed to hurt there. If stewardship hurts, then you might have a bad view of stewardship. Then you might have an unhealthy view of stewardship. You, you probably don't view stewardship as a gift of God's grace in your life. Instead, you might view it totally as about your money, your material possessions, your resources. It's an unhealthy view of stewardship to, to say it's only about money and resources. It's unhealthy to make it all about you and, if, and, and your ability to give and not to give. If your attitude about stewardship is like the wealthy man in our beginning illustration, then your view of stewardship is unhealthy. Listen, y'all. Stewardship isn't about you and your ability to give and not give. It's not about your income level, your education, your job. Stewardship is a gift of God's grace that he works in the hearts of his people. Statement, statement. Do I need to pull out the sign? It begins in your heart long before it manifests itself in your pocketbook, in your actions. We don't change ourselves into being good stewards. We are transformed into them by God's grace. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I heard one pastor say, We should not underestimate the work of God's grace in our life. TVC Saints, do not underestimate the work of God's grace when it comes to stewardship in your life. This is what Paul wants for us. This is what he wants for the Corinthians, the Christians and, and, and the Corinthian Christians. And he uses what God is doing with the Macedonians to challenge them and to challenge us. You see, stewardship is a gift of God's grace that is worked in the hearts of the Macedonians. It's worked into their hearts by joy and pain. Think about that. 
He wrote stewardship in them through joy and pain. They're like Frankie Beverly and Mays here, right? Over and over, you can be sure there will be sorrow, but you will endure. Where there's a flower, there's sun and rain. They're both one and the same. Joy and pain are like sunshine and rain. There's sunshine and rain in Macedonia. There's joy and pain are being experienced by these believers. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given to the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, these beloved saints are in a severe test of affliction. And those words should sound familiar if you were here last Sunday. The Macedonians are, are going through what I preached on from James 1, verses 1 through 4. Count of pure joy, brothers and sisters, when y'all make trials of various kinds. For you know that testing on your faith produces steadfastness. Our siblings in Macedonia are being tested by our Heavenly Father through affliction, through pain, through suffering. And their faith has been tested in the furnace of hardship. The Greek term translated affliction conveys the idea of being squeezed, crushed beneath the weight of something. These believers are being squeezed like a tube of toothpaste. They've been squeezed tightly. Who or what is squeezing them? According to one commentator, Macedonia was at one time rich, but Rome came and took all the gold and all the silver, like the colonizers leaving the country like a lacerated animal. These saints are being squeezed by the hands of poverty. It's their current test. It's their current affliction. And can you empathize with them? Or do you simply think they need to do better and work harder? What about poverty in America? Yeah, you made a Put something on your toes. Who do you see as the face of poverty in America? I hope it ain't just brown and black people. But poverty exists in all ethnicities in America. And it's a real hardship. In the book, Voices of the Poor, one person living in poverty had this to say. She says, for a poor, poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. We are crippled. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We are like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. These words are painful and hard to read. And I want you all to understand that the Macedonian believers are probably feeling the same thing about their poverty. See, we have a tendency to read Scripture as if people in Scripture are dead bystanders in their own suffering. It's like they went through this stuff. When Paul says they're in poverty, they're in poverty. They don't live in a land of make-believe. This stuff is real. He said they're in extreme poverty. And the, their poverty poverty is like the heat index that we've been dealing with in Huntsville this week. It's hot. And they're being squeezed by poverty. It's trying to squeeze the life out of them. But it doesn't. Do you know why? Do you know why? It's because the Macedonians know God is with them in the poverty. 
See, what we try to do sometimes in the evangelical church, when we go to under-resourced communities, we go there thinking they are the ones with the problem, but you got problems too. Okay? God is in those communities. He didn't just show up when we got there. You think God just showed up in this community when we planted this church in 2008? Heck no, he was already here. And economic status does not equal spiritual health. You can be wealthy and still be spiritually immature, and you can be in poverty and you can be an elder in this church because you're spiritually mature. See, these saints, they know God has not abandoned and forsaken them and left them without a father in their poverty. He hasn't abandoned them. They're not orphans. They give themselves to God while they're in poverty. They don't, they don't say, well, when I become middle class, then I trust God. When I, start, when I earn this amount of money, then I trust God. I'm giving myself to God now in my brokenness. And please know, most of us are just one bad day away from being in the same situation. You see, they have joy in the midst of it. And remember, how did I find joy last week? Does anyone remember how, how I defined joy last week? Joy is trusting the Lord God in all circumstances of life. That gives you joy. And the Macedonians are trusting our triune God as he tests them. They're leaning on the everlasting arms, y'all, in the midst of the suffering. And he produces something wonderful in them. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given amongst the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. The New Living Translation says, they have been tested by many troubles. They are very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. Their abundant joy and extreme poverty overflows into a rich generosity. And the Greek term that's translated overflow is in the indicative mood. And that mood states what is fact. And when the New Testament uses the indicative mood, mode, it is talking about what God does and will do and is doing. And see, these believers, they aren't making this overflow themselves. This is what God is doing to them. This is what grace is doing. Do you really think grace is amazing? And we get to see it work itself out in believers who don't have much material possessions, but they have joy, extreme poverty, and it overflowed into generosity. Can y'all believe what's happening? It doesn't make any sense. It all seems so unnatural, so un-American. Even Paul was taken back by what's happening. He had no expectations that that these saints would give because they're dealing with their own poverty. He didn't didn't have any expectations that they would want to give to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. He doesn't even ask them for help. They come to him wanting to help. In verse 5, Paul says, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to God and by the will of God to us. The apostle is like, wait, what? Like, you want to contribute to the release of the saints? Are you sure? Like, 
I'm seeing this, and I don't know if y'all got much to give. You're dealing with your own struggles. And they, they say yes. They even beg Paul to let them help. Think about that. We want to help. Brothers and sisters, we don't even know in Jerusalem. Look at verses 3 and 4. For they gave according to their means. And I can testify, this is Paul, beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Again, I'm like, wow. Wow. These believers aren't using their poverty as an excuse not to give. They're not saying, well, we're in poverty, so we can't participate in stewardship and generosity. You know why? For them, those things isn't about money. It's not about economic status. It's not about bank accounts, your salary, your income, or, or your worldly treasures. They know that stewardship is about the work of God's grace in the hearts of his people. That's where it starts, here. Young Christians, stewardship starts here before it's ever going to manifest itself in your wallet or pocketbook. The J.B. Phillips translation says, somehow in the most difficult circumstances, their joy and the fact of being down on their last penny themselves produce a magnificent concern for other people. See, the Macedonians, they, they know poverty from personal experience. They don't know it from a book or a conference, or a sermon, or a workshop, they know what it tastes like. Do you know what poverty tastes like? They know what it tastes like. They know what it smells like. They know what it looks like because they're in the thick of it. And somehow God's grace has produced empathy in their hearts for other Christians in poverty. Amen statement. I stand amazed. What about you? We should not underestimate the work of God's grace in our life and in the life of other people. A grace that's so amazing that it can move Christians in poverty to be generous to other people in poverty. It's wonderful. I heard one celebrity pastor say, I can't be a blessing to others if I'm poor, broke, and depressed and don't feel good about myself. 2 Corinthians 8 is showing us that's not entirely true. Amazing grace, how sweet it is, as it still continues to work in the hearts of believers. So much so that it can work stewardship in them in the midst of their own suffering. It can move those in poverty to be a blessing to others in poverty. Do you see stewardship as a gift of God's grace? Do you? Do you see stewardship as a work of God's grace in your heart? long before it works itself out in your actions. If the work of God's grace in your life is it making you generous, then nothing will. Now, I can sit up here and guilt you and shame you, but it ain't going to change your heart. If the work of God's grace in your life is it making you participate in stewardship in your own church, then nothing ever will. But part of the problem is that we think it's our stuff. <laughs> your stuff, beloved. It's Jesus' stuff. All of it. God's grace 
also helps us when it comes to honoring our commitments, when it comes to keeping the, our promises, and when it comes to following through on what you say you're going to do. So see, again, the Apostle Paul uses what God is doing amongst the Macedonians to encourage and challenge us, just like he's using it to encourage and challenge the Corinthians, who, unlike the Macedonians, made a commitment to participate in the relief of the saints in Jerusalem. Okay? The Macedonians made no commitment, but the Corinthians did. They voluntarily made a picket promise to Paul they're going to help. He says, a year ago, y'all had a desire for this. Y'all even started taking up a collection for this. And now he says, I want you to fulfill what you said you were going to do. Honor your commitment. Don't renege on it. Good intentions mean nothing if it's not followed by good actions. And tears are pointless if it doesn't move you to help. So Paul is saying, hey, honor your commitment. Look at verses 11 and 12. So now finish joining as well so that your readiness and desire it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Paul is not looking to put an extra burden on these believers. He simply wants them to honor their commitment out of how God has already blessed them. Just follow through on your promise. Now at the same time, he also knows the Corinthians aren't living in poverty like the believers in Jerusalem and, and Macedonia. He wants them to use their abundance to bless their brothers and sisters in poverty. And here's a principle here for us. Believers who have much should help relieve the burden of believers who are in great need. From your overflow, be generous to other believers who are in need. Look at verses 13 through 15. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. But as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need. So that their abundance may supply your need. That there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever has gathered much had nothing left. And whoever gathered little, little had no lack. These are the kingdom value here. But if you approach stewardship... As, a, as an American, or if we approach stewardship politically, then you look at this and say, that sounds like socialism. No. That sounds like kingdom living. Kingdom living. The church. Supporting other churches. Remember, this church is in Macedonia, and the church in Jerusalem is filled with Jews. But these Church of Macedonia said, so we're, we're going to support our brothers and sisters. They need us. Even though we don't have much, we're going to contribute. We're going to help. Paul wants to see God's grace move in our hearts the same way it's moving in the hearts of the Macedonian believers. He wants to see that grace move in the hearts of the Corinthians the same way. He wants us to see stewardship as a gift of God's grace and, and a work of God's grace in our hearts. He wants us and them to act upon this grace. Look at verses 6 through 8. Paul says to the Corinthians, 
Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. You excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in, in earnestness. And out of love for you, we see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love may also be genuine. Meaning, don't just love with good intentions, love with actions too. And Paul, to hammer home this point, he transitions from calling the, the Corinthians to look at what's happening to the Macedonians, and he points them to Jesus. So this is what he's doing. He's saying, look at your, look at your brothers and sisters here, but now he's going to say, I want you to also look at your Savior. He reminds them of the justifying grace of God in Christ. He reminds them that they're past recipients of Jesus' stewardship and generosity. Do you know that? That if you are a Christian, then you have benefited from Jesus' stewardship in your life. His generosity. If he was standing, oh, you'd be in trouble. Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that by his poverty you might become rich. Those, those, what do those words do to you? How do they make you feel? Or you're like, hurry up, Pastor, want to go get lunch. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know it. That though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. You got to let those words pierce your heart. Adults, kids, let those words pierce your hearts. We often romanticize the gospel, gospel. So much that we fail to grasp what verses like this is communicating to us. This phrase, though he is rich, is referring to Jesus' life before the incarnation. He, is, he existed long before the virgin birth. It's his eternal preexistence as the Son of God in heaven and in glory. Jesus himself says in John 8, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And John warned him again, it was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. These verses show us the wealthiness of Christ, his glory before the incarnation. And you need to understand, him becoming a human being is poverty. Poverty. The virgin birth, poverty. Born in likeness of human beings, Poverty. And his poverty is his stewardship that benefits you. The stewardship of Jesus led to his poverty. And that's both the incarnation and the cross. He left the riches of heaven and came down here in this lowly, broken place and suffered and died for enemies. Take that to heart. 
Jesus, I've said this once before, Jesus is the only one who has friends in low places. You don't, I don't. He's the only one who can sing that Godford song, and it's true. And you're those people in low places. See, the stewardship of Jesus benefits you and these Corinthians because without it, there is no hope for us. Well, that's the last part of verse 9. It says, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. So that communicates the purpose of him becoming poor and that purpose uh, so that through his poverty, you might become rich in him in him. And now rich here is him not saying you're going to have a huge financial blessing. He's talking about a spiritual reality. Because at one point, your spiritual bank account had insufficient funds. Like you, you owe money. You were in the negative. But Jesus came, took on your debt, and filled your account to the fullest. Through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. If you think and living a good life is going to fill up that account, wrong. Think you're growing up, getting that good job, going to put that, those funds in that account, wrong. It is Christ who does it. Think your good work is going to do it? No. Jesus does that. He gave his life for your life. He bore the wrath of God so that you don't have to. He purchased eternal life for you so that you don't have to waste your time trying to earn something you can't earn. He reconciled you to God because you can't. He made you right and righteous because you can't. So you can stop beating yourself up because you don't think you're good enough. Jesus was good enough for you. Believers are spiritually wealthy in Christ. And honestly, we are trust fund kids. But we live like we're poor. But because in Christ we're rich. If you live in illegalism, that's, your, that's poverty for you. You don't have to live in that. If you live in an antinomianism, that means no law, that's poverty for you. You don't have to live that way. Christ has given you freedom to use that freedom wisely. And this is what Paul wants us in the Corinthians to, to embrace. So why should you give to the village church? Why should you be generous to other believers? Why should you help people around you? Why should you be a good steward? Because of what Jesus has done for you. Has he done anything for you? Kids, you, has he done anything for you? Can't go in on the coattail of your parents' face. You Gotta have your own. Do you know him? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he were rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you did all of this without us asking you to do it. You did it of your own free will and your own accord. Thank you that you left the riches of heaven and came to this earth to live a life we cannot live, to die a death that was meant for us all. 
Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for your life. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for your ascension. Thank you, right, even right now, you're interceding on our behalf in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for justifying grace. Thank you for sanctifying grace. And I pray that you will remind us that no matter what we're going through, you're with us in the thing. And I pray for all of us that you will work generosity in our hearts and you will work stewardship into our hearts for your glory and for our good. And I pray for all this in Christ's name. Amen. Saints, will you please stand as we close our service?
you our guests today. Thank you so much for being with us. And also our brothers and sisters from Grace and Peace in St. Louis. Thank y'all for being in Huntsville with us. Hopefully you felt love today and welcome. And here's God's benediction to his beloved. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, and dominion and authority forevermore. And all God's people says, Amen. Amen.